He is risen. Yeah, he is risen indeed. He is risen indeed. You better believe it. Uh, in case you don't know who I am, it might be because I dressed up today. <laughs> or it might be because you're a guest. <laughs> I'm Pastor Michael. Um, what happened was I, I had a certain plan on dress today, and then I showed up at the sunrise service and realized the whole worship team outdressed me, so I thought I'd better get fixed up. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I got a text from my wife saying, wear a suit. <laughs> or no, a tie. It was a tie. It was a tie. Then somebody, somebody had the nerve to say to me, so is that your funeral suit? <laughs> Don't know what to do with suits in this day and age, but hey, is what it is. But you know what? I think we're going to ditch the coat. <laughs> oh, dear. Awesome. So um, life seeds, life seeds. Our text is in John chapter 12, verse 23. Where it says this, Jesus replied, the hour has come, and, and you can read that, the hour has now come. You can read it, the hour has finally come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, and there, there's Jesus' death right there, if it dies, it produces many seeds, and right there is Jesus Christ's resurrection. Now, you may or not be aware of this, but everything that Jesus did in life and death, everything that he did, he did in complete alignment with the Heavenly Father, with Father God, Lord in heaven, and according to the Father's plans. So Jesus begins this statement saying, the hour has now come. You may not know this, but this is an hour that he has spoken about over and over again in his lifetime. Let me just reference a few of those. The first one's in John 7, uh, chapter 30. And because Jesus had been making, state, making statements that would put himself equal with God the Father, the religious establishment wanted him dead. So they, the religious establishment, tried to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him. Why? Because his hour had not yet come. When you read those words, his hour had not yet come. They were clueless about any hour that was to come. What we're talking about is they couldn't because it wasn't the Father's time. Same thing over in John 8.20 where it says, No one seized him because his hour had not yet come. So again and again, I just need you to see, the religious leaders wanted to put Jesus away. They wanted to be done with him. They, they wanted to kill him, but they couldn't do it. Why? Because everything would happen only according to the Father's plan and only in the Father's time frame. Now, you may or may not have come to a place of ever realizing this before, and those of us who have still struggle with this idea, and it goes like this. Life works a whole lot better when we're learning to do things according to God's plan and in God's time frame. That'd be a good place for a shout. Yeah. I mean, it's true. It, it is really true. Why, 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 why do we doubt it? I mean, how am I embracing God's plan? How am I embracing God's time frame. I mean, does it make me want to scream? Yeah, you better believe sometimes it does, but I do better to embrace it. So here we are. We're, we, we are finally at this hour. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. So it's a fascinating picture, and, and it's, it, it's really one of my favorite moments in, in history. I mean, Jesus 
has ridden into Jerusalem looking like the king everybody was hoping for. And they are, they are throwing out palm branches, paving the way. He's been doing miracle after miracle. They're ready to make him king. They've been wanting to make him king, but he's been avoiding them, escaping that. That's not the place. But this is the time. He's letting them do this, hailing him, shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, save us now. Rescue us from injustice, from Roman oppression. Deliver us from the madness of the world. Anybody ever pray that prayer? Deliver me from the madness of the world. And this is what's going on here. But here's the deal. If we're not looking for God's plan in God's time, we are going to be disappointed. You better believe it. So Jesus doesn't do things the way everybody was wanting to do things. And right here he takes this interesting uh, twist and says, very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed, no more, forever just one. But if it dies, Jesus' death, then it produces many seeds. That's Jesus' resurrection. Yeah. So Jesus didn't come the first time as that conquering king that everybody was hoping for. That day's coming. And that's why we shout when we sing about it, because we're, we're anticipating that day when he comes in victory. But he came the first time as a sacrificial lamb. And this is something I would challenge everyone in the room to explore, the whole idea of animal sacrifices that we don't do anymore. Many cultures throughout time have made sacrifices in an attempt to earn God or the God's favor. Jesus put an end to animal sacrifices because he became the Lamb of God who literally took your sin and my sin upon himself, identifying with our sins as if they were his own, and then carrying them to the grave, thus defeating them, rising again on the third day, defeating death once and for all. Yeah, I like it. Yeah. Praise God. Came to pay our... The penalty that's due us. But here's where we are today. And this is, this is a message that is, is way different than, than, than what you would typically hear. But it goes like this. Jesus didn't come the first time just to die. Jesus came as a seed. Jesus came as a seed. Now, I need to make something really clear here, okay? Pastor Michael is no farm boy. <laughs> Can you say that? Pastor Michael is no farm boy. <laughs> yeah, I'm no farm boy. I've, I've been privileged to do life with a, a woman who is a farmer's daughter, and consequently I've been able to get around farmers and farm, and I've grown to appreciate wheat, and that's what Jesus is using. His is an agrarian culture. Uh, but today, you know, uh, there were times back in the John Denver area era where I love to pick up my guitar and sing songs like, you know, well, life on a farm's kind of laid back. Ain't much an old country boy like me can hack. It's early to rise and early in the sack. Thank God I'm a country boy. And then one of those people looked at me that day and said, you're no country boy. And I said, well, John Denver's no country boy either. And he sang the song. Yeah. But being that I'm not a country boy, I'm going to shift, I think Jesus would be okay with this, 
and we got a slide that's a picture of a tomato here. I've got a tomato in hand, and uh, I want to use a tomato. And, and if I were to cut this tomato open, what do you suppose we'd find inside? Seeds. Seeds, absolutely. One of the things we'd find inside of this tomato would be seeds. And that's the second image, so you can see those, those here. Now, imagine that I were to take one of those seeds and put it in my pocket. Would anything worthwhile happen to that seed? I mean, you could argue, I mean, you could say, well, that seed is going to change. It's going to shrivel up, dry out, and die, right? Ultimately. Yeah. But here's the deal. That seed is only going to stay a single seed. It's never going to be any more than a single seed. But if I were to do something with that seed, what might I do with it? Well, here's an idea. How about if I planted in some good dirt in a good pot and I start to take care of that seed? I mean, at first, it might look like that seed is dead and gone, and that's the third slide I need you to see, because, you know, we can play taps for that, that poor seed. It's disappeared, it's in the dirt, it's, it's far out of sight, rest in peace, dear seed. Yeah. But after a while, that seed that's been planted and taken care of, something amazing begins to happen. And this is the fourth image, and that's the reason for these tomato plants that, that are here on the stage this morning. That seed begins to grow into a plant that gets bigger and bigger and bigger and produces many, many seeds. So think about how many seeds might be in a typical tomato. And I learned through this that there are somewhere between, it's a huge range, somewhere between 50 to 200 seeds. So from one tomato seed, we get a plant that has lots and lots of tomatoes, each containing between 50 and 200 seeds. So we get thousands and thousands of seeds, but it's only when that seed has been allowed to go into the ground and for all practical purposes die. And that's where the potential of new life begins. Jesus said that he is a seed, not a tomato seed, not, not, a, not a grain of wheat. He's talking about himself. He's talking about himself being buried in the ground, going to be killed. It's going to happen at this height of experience when everybody's ready to crown him king. He sends the message that he's going to be buried. Then like a seed that's buried in the ground, something amazing is going to begin to happen. You see, not only... Did Jesus conquer death? Not only did Jesus rise again on the third day, but just like a seed that went into the ground, suddenly all sorts of things began to spring up. Thousands and thousands of new seeds. Millions and, and millions of, of new seeds. We see this on, at Pentecost. Okay, now you might be totally, that word Pentecost may not mean anything to you at all. But let me try to help just a little bit. It's a season on the Jewish calendar to celebrate the first fruits of harvest. Okay, that day is coming in a, in a, down the road, just in several weeks. We're going to celebrate Pentecost, the day of first fruits. But it was also a prophetic date because it represented 
a day that Jesus had been talking about when God the Father would pour forth the Holy Spirit. That's why Jesus had to ascend into heaven so that the Holy Spirit could be poured out. And on that day, in this particular year, there's a, a small group of people, 120, waiting in an upper room for Jesus' promised Holy Spirit. And suddenly, the Spirit fell on them. They received the fullness of the Holy Spirit. They all received new seeds, and then they planted those seeds. And that day, 3,000 others became receivers of the resurrected life. And before that, yeah, go ahead. Glory to God. Yeah. Yeah. And before that chapter ends, what we read is that new fruit was being added daily. It's an amazing harvest that multiplies over and over again. It's carried out throughout the centuries, right up to right now, where there's people in this room that would say they have received a seed of life from their Savior, Jesus Christ. That's right. And we give glory to God. So everyone who trusts in Jesus is given a seed of new life. They're going to live with him forever in his eternal kingdom. Uh, it seems that uh, at some point that those seeds somehow die, they disappear for a while, but then like Jesus' resurrected life, there comes a day when they begin to break out of the soil and new life begins to emerge. So each Resurrection Sunday, there's many, many things that we get to celebrate, and one of those things is when we sit down for a meal, we can recognize that the seeds that give us food to eat also point to the fact that Jesus is the seed that brings new life. Okay, so now I need to turn a little bit of a corner here with you all, and it goes like this, because there are those who want to reduce Jesus to nothing more than just a good man. And, and what they'll say is, you know, Jesus lived a beautiful life, and, and we would do well to live our lives just like him. But what we need to understand this morning is that nothing could be further from the truth. And for us to even begin to think that we could live like Jesus did would be to spit on what Jesus did for us on the cross. In, in fact, it goes farther than that. It will only leave us in life frustrated and defeated. You know, on the day that Jesus was baptized, his father spoke up and he said, This is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased with him. With him, I am well pleased. And when the God the Father said that, what he was saying is, my son lived the perfect life. In fact, my son lived the life that will be required of anyone that could ever hope to live in my eternal kingdom. So let's be honest for just a minute. That may be true of Jesus, but that's not true of me. And it's not true of you either. In fact, in Romans, the Bible says this. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced. Why does it say that? It says because we don't have bragging rights in standing before God. That every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. What does that mean? It means we are in trouble I mean, if we want to be judged according to the law, that is an option. It's not a good option, but it also means we don't have to be judged according to the law because God is pouring out grace through his son, Jesus Christ. And if we want to be judged by the law, the only thing it's going to do is shut our mouths. It's going to shine on our sin 
and it's going to render us guilty, and that gross, that is a horrible place to be. Yeah. Okay, so you already know that I'm no farm boy, right? Pastor Mike is no farm boy. Yeah, can you say that? Pastor Mike is no farm boy, yeah. Well, something else I'm not. I'm not a carpenter. In fact, you don't want me doing a remodel or building a house for you, okay? Case in point, our last remodel, okay, we had a friend help us with a remodel, and he gave me permission to do the demolition. I I like that part. I just like the word demolition. Yeah, it's a good word. Give me a sledgehammer and let me go to town. And things were going just terrific until I got to the last part of the demo. Why is it always the last part that messes you up? You know, you think you got it, and then you get to the last part, and it, things don't cooperate. And there was this one board up high in the, in the bathroom that I was tugging on and pulling on, and I was hatching it on and fighting, and it would not come loose. So I asked my friend, who is the contractor, hey, would you come over and see what's going on here? So he walks in the bathroom, and he just laughs at me. Michael, that's a supporting beam. I've had, I've had nightmares about this because <laughs> what I can see is the neighbors standing outside looking at my roof watching go wah, 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 wah. Because that's what I'm pulling on. Wah, 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 wah. It's not coming down. It was a support beam. So I, I just say that to say, you don't want me working on your house. Is that fair? Yeah. Okay, but I'm just savvy enough with carpentry to know this. A good level has never fixed a crooked wall. Pretty smart, aren't I? The only thing a level can do is show you whether a wall is straight or whether it's crooked. It's going to take a good carpenter to fix a crooked wall. You all agree with that? Here's the deal. The law of God is the level. It shows that something's off in our lives. The good carpenter is Jesus Christ. He alone can fix the crooked things in our lives. I need something more than just the death of Jesus. Listen to this. This is from Major Ian Thomas. The life Jesus lived qualified him for the death he died for me. And the death he died for me qualifies me, now a forgiven sinner, for the seed of new life that he offers. And out of that seed, something amazing begins to happen. A plant begins to break through the soil, and many, many, many seeds are produced. We call that the church. Any good church is a seed-multiplying church. The first church was 120 strong. And just as the Father had sent the Son, so now He sends us, His church, in the fullness and the power of the Holy Spirit to carry on the work of Jesus Christ. And so now this question turns to you and me, and here it goes. You ready for it? It goes like this. Have you received the seed that God is offering through his son, Jesus Christ? If you haven't received it, today could be your day to receive the seed of life that he's offering. If you have received that seed, what are you doing with it? 
Are you putting it in your pocket, trying to take care of it, or are you allowing it to go into the ground? See, what Jesus said about himself, he now says to anyone who will hear it, and he says to you and me, back to the text, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, that's you and me dying to self. It produces many seeds, and that's our resurrection. How do I know he's pointing to you and me? Because I read on to the next verse. Ready for this? Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. What does that word hate your life mean? It means that you recognize that what we try to hold on to in this life doesn't get us anywhere. But it's only when we allow ourselves to be put in the ground for the glory of God that we have any hopes of resurrecting to become the people that God intended for us to be. Have you ever heard, have you ever heard a tomato seed talking to itself? I mean, I'm not crazy. I, you heard me right. I'm asking you the question, have you ever heard a tomato seed talking to itself? If you, if you could listen in, it just might have a message that you need to hear and that I need to hear today. What's it saying? I like me. I like me. I don't know that there's ever been a finer tomato seed in the history of the world. I once attended this conference where, where, the, where the speaker was talking about the path to real life, and I can't believe what he said. He said, unless you finally come to the place that you are willing to let go of whatever it is you think you are, you will never become everything that you are intended to be. Ridiculous. Can you believe that? No, no, no. See, cries, I, if I am ever to become a creation of significance, I must hold on to what I understand I am. It's only in self-discovery that I have any value. It's embracing what I am that counts. God should consider himself fortunate to have such a fine seed as me. You know what that, the future of that seed is? It's really quite simple. It will forever be just one seed and it'll eventually just dry out and blow away. But the seed that falls in the ground and dies has a tremendous future. Oh, oh, please, I don't want to mislead you. There, may, there just may come a season that you might want to play taps because it looks like for all practical purposes, it's dead and gone. Rest in peace, dear seed. Nothing's happening in my life. Where is this experience that God has for me? But then we hold on and one day, we begin to feel something going on inside ourselves and pretty soon we notice, wow, we've got this, this extension, this tail branching, and then another, and then another, and suddenly we realize that we've taken on a whole new form of life that we never would have imagined we had the capacity of taking, taking on. Have you received the seed? of life. I have to say that there are those in the church that have been carrying their seed in their pocket, some for a long, long time, for many, many years. It's my seed. Oh, it's my personal business. It's my seed. I'm keeping it right here. I'm not going to ever let it go. I'm never going to let it fall to the ground and die. 
I mean, let's face it, I mean, falling to the ground and dying, that's a scary thing. I mean, what if some big old mule comes along and tramples on me? Or what if a tractor comes by and, and, and crushes me? What good am I then? But then as it holds on to its faith, it realizes that it's been resituated for greater fruit or it's been strengthened for trials that lie ahead. And here's a question. The moment of seed goes into the ground and dies, how much control does it have over what happens next? It doesn't have any. It can only trust its heavenly Father. An artist was high up on scaffolding, working on a, a painting, a beautiful picture in a, in a cathedral dome. He stood back for a moment to, to get a glimpse and was intoxicated with what he saw. He was drinking in the sheer genius of, of his work. He could have never imagined such a great accomplishment. So he stepped back again for another look and, and back again for even a better look and back and back, not even realizing that his next step could well be his death. He was caught up in his work. He was caught up with himself. The next step was to be his last. And just then, his assistant looked up and seeing what was going on, grabbed a bucket of paint and threw it up against the ceiling, destroying the work, snapping the artist out of the trance. And the, doctor was the, the artist was furious. You've destroyed my masterpiece. The assistant was quiet for a moment. He said, yeah. Yeah, I destroyed your masterpiece. But I saved your life. And this is the message of the resurrection. That what we think we're holding on to is the very thing that's destroying us. But when we come to the place of the last letting it go, trusting the Heavenly Father, it's at this place that we can begin to enter into the new life that He has for us. But that's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Praise be to God. Want to let out a shout? Go for it. Yeah. I'm going to pray. I want you to consider what God is saying to you and how you should respond. That's really the prayer. And then I want you to hear for a moment from Major Ann Thomas. This is the word that God used so often in his life and ministry. I want you to hear just a moment. And then our worship team will come up. Uh, in the course of that video. So let's pray together. You and God, Father, what is it you brought me here to hear from you this morning? And then the question goes from you asking the Father back to you with this question. How will you then respond? And my hope today is that someone is embracing the seed of life that's being poured out through the Son, Jesus Christ. Or that today some believer is saying, oh, I've been holding on to this thing, keeping it to myself, and it needs to go into the ground and die. I don't know what you're saying. I don't know what he's saying to you. It might be something totally different. You just listen. You just listen. Let's watch this video clip. unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies. It remains. 
never becomes more. But if it dies, it produces many others. Its life is reproduced, yields a rich harvest. That life which it possesses, that it releases in death, is released in resurrection. He was that sinless, spotless grain of wheat who came to be planted by his father at Calvary. He came into this world as God incarnate to live that quality of life that allowed of no explanation but the Father in the Son, without whom, said he, I can do nothing. But having for 33 years demonstrated in the sinlessness of that humanity all that he as God intended when he first made man, he could have gone back to heaven to be there forever, alive, because death is the wages of sin. Though only a man in his sinlessness, he could have gone back to heaven and left us with nothing but the example of a beautiful life that could only mock us in our attempt to imitate him as the law can only mock us in our attempt to fulfill its demand. But if it die, said the Lord Jesus, if I'm prepared on your behalf to forfeit that life that man lost in Adam and allow my Father in resurrection to restore that life to me, that life released through my death in resurrection will be shared with you. He died that we might be forgiven, but he lives to restore to us that life for which man was made. But you see, there's not only a cross for him, there's a cross for you and a cross for me. Unless we're prepared to die to what we are, we will never, ever become what we were intended to be. But that life that is yours now by virtue of who he is, living where he does in your heart, is a life that's to be released through death. That that life, his life, might be released in resurrection, shared with others. chosen me I've chosen you I have appointed you that you might bear fruit and keep on bearing and that your fruit may be lasting 